Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. The weeds are here. The weeds are coming from inside the house. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias here with Dara Lind, and we also have joining us today Andrew Prokop, who is the keeper of uh, of all things Russia and uh, Mueller and uh, sometimes related things having to do with Stormy Daniels. Yeah, uh, every so often we, we drag Andrew into the podcast studio and go, Andrew, we've officially lost track of everything that is happening with Trump and Russia and various criminal and, you know, non-criminal investigations help. And so this is another round of that. Andrew, there's a lot happening. Yeah, now, quite a few things have happened recently. But one thing that I think just helps sort of structure this is uh, there was a kind of flurry of reports recently that the Senate Intelligence Committee had wrapped up its investigation and there was no collusion or at least no no proof of collusion. Um, and, you know, I, I guess a good place to start is like, like, is that right? Like, like what what do we know about colluding from all these these sentences that have been handed? Out? So I, I think, first off, we have to separate the Senate Intelligence Committee investigation from the Mueller investigation. Right. They've proceeded completely separately. And um, the, these were comments by uh, Richard Burr, uh, the chairman of Senate Intel, a Republican from North Carolina. And he, he said something like they found no, in their own investigation, no direct evidence of collusion. Then the Democrats started pushing back a little bit saying, oh, well, we found some sort of, you know, there's maybe circumstantial stuff like questions arose from stuff we found. But, you know, they haven't released their findings. So we, we don't really know what it is exactly they found or didn't find. And in any case, the main event is not this committee's investigation. The main right. event is the Mueller investigation. And I think that when you look back at the past couple months, going back to maybe um, November, right after the elections, we have learned a significant amount in the new sentencing memos and new charges brought by Mueller. And what we have learned, you know, a lot of people say that, oh, all the Mueller investigation finds is process crimes, like right. lying to Congress, or uh, which Roger Stone was just charged with, and obstruction, or um, Michael Cohen was also charged with lying to Congress, or M Manafort has been charged with a bunch of kind of unrelated stuff. And, you know, it is true that still 
No one has yet been charged by Mueller with a criminal conspiracy to interfere with the election. However, in these filings, we seem to be getting closer to something like that. I don't know if we'll end up there, but what we've learned in the past few months involving Cohen, Manafort, and Stone have have all been in the territory of sort of collusion-adjacent stuff that happened during the campaign. I I also think it's worth, before we delve into the details, right, I I feel like there's a constant game of sort of goalpost moving around some of this, right? Collusion is not something that you can scroll through the U.S. code and say, aha, like here is the crime of collusion. Here are the elements of collusion. If you want to prosecute someone for collusion, you need the following things, right? So if the standard is for this to be a big deal, you have to both prove a crime and you have to prove collusion, but also collusion has to be the crime that you prove, that's a really, really hard one, right? Like a a possible thing in the realm of process crimes is that a person has done something. The thing that they have done is embarrassing because it would be, for example, politically devastating to be openly colluding with the Russian government during an election campaign, but perhaps not illegal. But then to cover up the embarrassing thing you did, you committed crimes. And like in a normal common sense, like that's that's being a criminal. You know what I mean? Like like, like having a television set is not a crime, but stealing a television (laughs) set is a crime, right? And and so a range of, of sort of realms in which something can be just process crimes, right? Like you can have legitimately done nothing wrong, but been like tripped up by clever FBI agents into contradicting your story. And now they have a crime against you. You can have a situation where you come under investigative scrutiny It turns out they can't prove you did the thing that they thought you did, but by rummaging through your life, they find other crimes that you committed. And then there's a realm of like, you did something that you wanted to keep secret and you broke the law to cover it up, right? And then I think when we talk about collusion adjacent, like that's what it seems like we're talking about, right? Like you have in the sentencing memos, there's a lot of like, he did this, he did that. They're trying to explain what happened, and like some of the stuff that happened seems like it involved working with the Russians on the campaign. And I think the other thing to to point out here, and it's, I'm in the bizarre position of like pointing a finger more directly at Republicans in the Trump administration than Matt is, which I'm not sure if it's ever happened on the podcast before, but like, it's not just the idea of collusion kind of emerged from the discourse as the gold standard here, right? The Trump administration worked very actively to associate the Mueller investigation with a collusion investigation. They refused to answer questions about the other element of the investigation, which is the firing of James Comey. They, you know, Donald Trump was on Twitter all the time saying that the, tr- the Mueller investigation was fake because there wasn't collusion. So they're simultaneously trying to funnel it into this, the only legitimate thing they could be investigating is collusion, but, you know, bearing in mind that, yes, OK, the Comey side of this investigation is an obstruction of justice. But when you're at the point where the obstruction of justice in question would be literally firing your director of the FBI, like how processy that process crime is versus it would be a significant problem even if there were no underlying illegal behavior starts to get a little fuzzy. Um, but now having sh- having funneled it so narrowly into collusion, they're now saying it has to be both collusion and because collusion 
a you know an existing federal crime. But so, but even leaving the question of obstruction aside, I think that we have learned several things from Mueller's charges and sentencing memos in the past few months that deserve to be treated as massive scandals, things that happened during the 2016 campaign that were not about the cover-up, but things that are, I mean, maybe not the basis of criminal charges or, or maybe charges were not brought for whatever reason, but uh, but the fact that these things happen are legitimately scandalous. And there is you're absolutely right there's this there's this bizarre kind of expectation setting partly from trump i think also partly from the steel dossier which alleged such a um kind of sinister conspiracy that anything that comes short of that now is treated by some as somewhat disappointing but i don't think we've learned the full story yet either of what's mullers found but we have learned about And we can go through them now, but um, I would characterize it as first there's Roger Stone and WikiLeaks, which, you know, everybody's been following the charges against him lately. We know that at the very least, he made some effort to get in touch with WikiLeaks to time WikiLeaks's release of the hacked emails that had been stolen by Russia from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta. And... um, this is also something we don't entirely know the full story about yet. Uh, there are some indications that Stone may have known that um, that WikiLeaks had Podesta's emails in advance, but that has not been sort of directly alleged yet. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of to be continued. But, but just but, to w- reiterate that, right? Like, I mean, again, collusion is a, is a difficult claim, but like one read of what happened in 2016 is that Donald Trump got lucky. Because with him and his team having nothing to do with it, thanks to poor information security processes on the part of John Podesta, the Russian government was able to access his inbox. And then the Russian government on their own, for their own unknown reasons, released these emails in a way that happened to be very fortuitous for Trump. And on the we'll, day of the um, Access Hollywood tape, you know, I mean, which it, is also right. something it, that, And also just yeah. late in the campaign, right? right? Like they didn't release yeah. it the day after they got it. But then no one in Trump's camp was involved in any way. This just happened separately from Because them. like stuff happens in yeah. campaigns, right? So maybe Trump got right. lucky. And if everybody, you know, it's not like a reasonably well-informed intelligence operative in Russia couldn't look at the calendar of a U.S. presidential campaign and go, it's generally better to release things late in the campaign. Like, you can theoretically come up with a world where that happens. Right. It's just not Julian the world Assange we live in. Himself. Right, or Julian Assange. But what we now seem to know from Roger Stone is that he, he what? Okay, so at the very least in July, Roger Stone was trying to get in touch with Julian Assange. And then the charges get a little complicated. And um, so they talk about two people, person one and person two. Person one is Jerome Corsi. He is the conspiracy theorist, in former InfoWars uh, correspondent who has you know, stoked Obama was not born in America stuff. So Mueller has in the indictment that – Stone, in July, told Corsi to get to Assange and get a hold of the pending emails he has coming. And and Stone writes that he thinks these relate to the Clinton Foundation. So then about a, a, a week later in early August, Corsi writes back Stone this email that for some reason it talks about Assange's plans and then it mentions Podesta. 
And that has apparently really raised investigators' eyebrows because they're like, how would he possibly know? Nobody knew at the time that Podesta had been hacked or this was not public at least. And then a couple weeks after this, Roger Stone himself tweeted his infamous tweet of soon it will the Podesta's time in the barrel. Uh, There are some typos in there. It doesn't entirely make (laughs) chromatic sense. But Stone has been saying, you know, this was a coincidence. This was entirely unrelated. Uh, And he said that actually, you know, once this became controversial, once the WikiLeaks info started coming out, Stone said, actually, this tweet was about research that Jerome Corsi was doing for me at the time. And now Corsi is saying, In fact, Stone knew about the Podesta emails and asked me to concoct a memo as a cover story. So we're getting into pretty complex territory here. But what seems to be going on is that there was some kind of shady efforts to contact WikiLeaks, learn what WikiLeaks had, and then also perhaps later to influence the timing of WikiLeaks' release. We don't know how successful they were, but they're at the very least – Stone was trying and he may have learned some information about what they had. And then he apparently told at least something to the Trump campaign. And there are uh, Steve Bannon is is said to have um, been in contact with Stone about what he knew uh, the week of the Podesta dumps. So, you know, and, and again, like Stone was charged not with any crimes related to this, but with lying to Congress about this in 2017, the next year, uh, withholding documents and trying to intimidate a witness into giving a a false story about this. And, you know, let's not get into the other witness because that just makes it more complicated. But, But basically, there's another guy who was talking to Assange, who Stone was kind of in touch with and getting info from. So, you know, you mentioned at one point we don't know how successful they, you know, Stone and Corsi were in getting information. That kind of gets into one of the many defenses that have been used, which is that the Trump administration was essentially too incompetent to successfully collude with anybody, which, like, tracks with a certain understanding of, you know, it, it's not as, it's not exactly as if anyone's assessment of how well-coordinated the Donald Trump 2016 campaign was has been raised substantially by any of these revolutions, but it doesn't necessarily, like, it doesn't necessarily appear to be true given what we've seen in, you know, the documents that have been released. And it also doesn't appear to necessarily be exculpatory, right? Like, can you talk through, does the putative success or not of these attempts to find out information actually matter in a criminal sense or in a should we think of this as collusion sense? Well, what what everyone is kind of wondering is whether there are more charges coming regarding Roger Stone and WikiLeaks in, in some fashion, because this indictment of Stone clearly does not attempt to tell the full story or to be the last word on what he knew and exactly what happened between him and WikiLeaks in in 2016. And uh, there's an interesting um, tidbit recently that Mueller designated Stone's case as related to his indictment of the Russian hackers for hacking the Podesta emails in the first place. He did this because there is a common warrant used um, to get evidence that he said would be relevant in Stone's case. And, you know, we already know that Stone had engaged some DMs with WikiLeaks and with 
Guccifer II, the the Russian hacker persona. Uh, what we know of these DMs so far uh, makes them look very limited and uh, and rather innocuous. Uh, it's it's not entirely like like they're not smoking gun DMs. It shows they were talking, but it doesn't show really that Stone knew anything or or was involved in any way. But that's what people are wondering, whether there is a fuller story, a new indictment um, coming on this, or maybe it's also possible that Mueller, we know that Mueller dug into this very deeply. He hauled basically everyone connected to Roger Stone in any way before his grand jury uh, last year. Corsi himself has written a whole book about his experience before the grand jury. He's a very unreliable character, uh, but you can read my explainer on on things in his book that that I found interesting in his in his account of what happened. So it, it seemed that at the very least they wanted to charge this larger crime. And you know, whether they perhaps couldn't make their case or whether they still intend to do so, um, we don't yet know. So what would the why would you bring some indictments against Roger Stone if you're not done? Like what would the what would the logic of that be? Because, I mean, I think I can see that there was a sort of from Byron York and some others, like when the Stone indictments came out, it was like, OK, they like went really thoroughly at this guy. They like squeezed him really hard. And like, this is what they came up with. And it's it's not that stellar. But a lot of that hinges on the question of like, is what's known, is the fact that this is what's in the indictment reason to believe that that's all that there is or can the investigation keep snowballing? Yeah, I think there would be a few reasons. Um, first of all, we should note that when Mueller first indicted Manafort, it was for uh, a more limited set of charges. And it took a few months for um, kind of, I, I believe, Justice Department bureaucratic reasons to get the tax charges and bank fraud charges added to Manafort. So, you know, there could be stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, there could also be the question of co-conspirators and uh, charges or charges against other people that perhaps are not yet ready. Uh, like if there is another go-between between Stone and WikiLeaks who we don't yet know about, or even there are said to be charges against Assange himself that are uh, under seal right now that have already been filed. Um, the Washington Post has reported that. So – I don't know exactly what the rationale could be, or or maybe it just wasn't ready. Maybe they're still working on this. There is, um, there's one person who's very, uh, who's worked for Stone for a long time, who refused to testify to the grand jury and uh, is uh, has been held in contempt and is fighting a court battle to try to avoid testifying. So you know maybe they need this guy's testimony. Uh, that could be another reason to hold off. All right, let's let's take a break and then let's talk about Paul Manafort. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics Podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. 
They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for The Weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. Burrow's new Dune line features a contemporary yet timeless look inspired by the craftsmanship of classic mid-century construction. If you're looking to bring a sense of luxury, comfort, and durability to your outdoor spaces, you might want to consider Burrow. Like all of Burrow's pieces, they offer easy assembly and disassembly so you can move or store them away as needed. Not only that, they ship straight to your door for free. Listeners of The Weeds can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com weeds. That's Burrow. B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash weeds for 15% off. Burrow.com slash weeds. So cr- criminal charges against Paul Manafort have been uh, c- coming and going for a while now. Uh, getting sentenced seems like multiple times. He had two different two different trials. Um, and the as you were just saying, right, like the initial wave of charges against Manafort was like financial crimes that were at best loosely related to the investigation. But I think more stuff has come out that brings Manafort closer to to collusion, right? Yes, it's getting closer. And so what's happened lately is that Manafort struck a plea deal with Mueller in September to avert his second trial after being convicted at his first trial and committed to cooperate with the investigation was questioned 12 times by uh, prosecutors and twice went before the grand jury. And then Mueller's team said that they believed he had repeatedly lied to them on several topics and breached his cooperation agreement. They're not bringing new charges against him for this, but they're they're basically because he's going to get such a huge sentence already. And uh, they're kind of using this in the sentencing process to argue for you know, to convince the judge not to go easy on him, essentially. Which is, for the record, it's all pretty standard. Like, this isn't a matter of, oh, they didn't really have the goods because if they really had the goods on him, they'd be hitting him with new charges. The idea that someone has been cooperative or or uncooperative as a factor in sentencing is right down the line standard operating procedure. So it was like he had a plea agreement and what's come out now is not new charges exactly, but the complaint that his lack of cooperation means the sentence for the old charge should be very severe. Yes. And and so Manafort disputed that he had deliberately lied. And so over the past few months, we've seen some dueling filings and court hearing transcripts and an eventual uh, ruling from Judge Amy Berman Jackson in D.C. kind of assessing these claims. And, And they have been very fascinating very heavily redacted also, but um, there have also conveniently been some redaction errors. Manafort's team uh, submitted one filing where they put black bars over text, but it turned out you could just copy and paste 
and see what was under the black bar. So so we've learned a fair amount about what Mueller has been investigating from these filings, like like why he he clearly really wanted Manafort's cooperation and asked him about a lot of stuff. And these are a few of the topics that Mueller thinks he really had Manafort nailed on lying to him about. And I think for our purposes, the most important um, at making this kind of larger argument about collusion relates to Manafort's Russian associate, Konstantin Kalimnik. So we learned that Mueller is accusing Manafort of sharing Trump campaign private polling data with Kalimnik in 2016 during the campaign. And also that Kalimnik, uh, the FBI has assessed him as having ties to Russian intelligence in 2016. So this is yet another thing that like rightly should be treated as a major scandal to have Donald Trump's campaign manager hand over private polling data during the campaign to a guy with ties to Russian intelligence. We don't know what purpose it was for. And so there ha- there are still arguments about whether this counts as collusion. Like maybe this is uh, – one theory is that maybe this is Manafort just like trying to like keep oligarchs in Ukraine and Russia happy by giving them inside info and so on. That he wasn't asking for anything in return. But it's still like a big scandal, you know? And this has always been – I would say the the strong circumstantial case for collusion has always been that once you accept that there is a Russian operation whose purpose is to help Trump win the election, then Trump's campaign manager just like had been hired previously by people with links to Russian intelligence for the purposes of tapping his political expertise. The universe in which the Russians kind of like have this guy who for the question of like how to help win elections in Ukraine, they had asked what Paul Manafort's take was, but like now they're working on the United States and they would like forget to be in contact, right? Like, I mean, again, like it wouldn't make sense to not collude. It's not like a, a legal argument. But that's why to me, when you start to hear threads of this, right? That like Manafort while working on the Trump campaign was continuing to feed back stuff about the campaign through Kilimic. It's like, yeah, like that's how you would like that's how you would do it, right? Like there were people in the Russian government who were working with Kilimic and Manafort on political campaigns for many years. Like that was his overt non-secret non-illegal job. I, I think usually this is his work is said to have gone through oligarchs rather than officials. So it, it's basically like oligarchs close to Putin or tied to the Russian government and it, it it's always been kind of difficult to connect Manafort directly to Russian government. Right, but but Kilimic was his partner, right? Like his business partner on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah. And I I mean, again, who knows if this is true or not, but like U.S. intelligence sources, I'm doing air quotes, (laughs) like say that he has, quote unquote, ties to Russian intelligence. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, but I guess he probably does. It it seems like he does. This does kind of, as opposed to the Stone thing where the question of, well, if you were soliciting information from WikiLeaks about when they were trying to drop, what their next Hillary-related intel was and when they were planning to drop it, like whether or not you get that information, asking for it, you know, seems to be itself 
not in bounds. This the Manafort stuff does like if somehow it could be decisively proved that he was passing this on to, you know, Klimnik saying, just show this to the oligarchs. Don't show it to anybody else. They want to feel included. Like, like, or like, let's, let's, you know, do them a solid. Uh, that would, in theory, be ex- as weird as it sounds, that would be exculpatory, I guess, insofar as it would demonstrate that there was some other purpose than conspiracy to interfere with the election, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, the <laughs> it's not exculpatory because it's still scandalous, but right. like the exculpatory-ish theory about Manafort has always been he had his own thing going on. Like he was out for himself. He was heavily in debt to a Russian oligarch. He was trying to line up future business for himself. And so he might have been doing stuff without Trump's knowledge or um, – or not even really aimed at helping Trump's campaign so much as aimed at helping himself secure future business and get paid. So that's in the category of like scandalous, but not illegal. Yes. But then you have like, you know, coming back to the question of giving this polling data Mm -hmm. and why would they give this polling data? And there have been a lot of interesting speculation and theories about this. We know that there are various... um, Social media propaganda efforts run by a Russian oligarch. Mueller has already filed charges in relation to that. The question of what this polling data shows exactly, like like basically the incriminating theory, now that we've gone through the exculpatory-ish theory, is that Manafort is basically telling the Russians how they can best help the Trump campaign by informing them with this internal data so they can target their bots, their propaganda efforts and and so on. Um, so like, you know, for example, one of the things that came up in the Internet Research Agency indictments was like the idea of these fake Black Lives Matter pages, right, that were designed to hit on the divisive race issues and therefore inspire a backlash among pro-Trump, you know, Republicans. Like you're saying that in theory, one of the things that po- that polling data could be showing is great. Keep on with the race war stuff. This is awesome. Yeah, they, they could have um, it could have focused on demographics and like strategies for depressing turnout among certain Democratic groups or the ones most commonly pointed to are like efforts to hurt Hillary Clinton among black voters, among Bernie Sanders supporters, and also um, among women with like the kind of um, millennial women specifically with the uh, Bill Clinton, um, you know, drawing attention to Bill Clinton accusations. All of which were tactics that the Trump campaign itself explicitly yes. was engaging and, and in. Ba- Bannon was was directly involved in all this. And, th- and then there's also the question of states and like, that's also where it gets interesting. Like if the internal polling data showed anything interesting about which states should be the focus of Russian help or or so on. Are you saying that Vladimir Putin took a campaign stop in Wisconsin? <laughs> I mean, that would certainly be interesting. But, you know, we're, we're getting pretty far ahead of what's no, sorry, actually sorry, been sorry, sorry, sorry. It was just too good to pass here. up. I mean, an interesting question in this is like, what is the significance for our understanding of what happened exactly? If it's like Trump's Russia-friendly campaign staff passed poll information showing that the Midwestern battlegrounds were the key and for that reason, the Russians targeted their ads there versus if the Russians just like read 538. (laughs) <laughs> and decided that the Midwestern 
You know, because like, like one reason it's so plausible that the Russians got that idea from Trump's internal polling is that like it's true. So that's what the internal polling would have said. But one reason it's implausible is that like it's also true. So like that's what you would have done. Anyway, and also right? Hillary's like, campaign seemed to have been unaware of this. Well, right. But it's like what you would really want as a test, right, would have been – something outlandish, right? Like George W. Bush's campaign in 2000 appeared to have a private theory that California was in play and made a big last minute push there. And that was like totally wrong. And the conventional wisdom was completely correct. So if some other actor had like also agreed with them there, you'd be like, oh, that's really fishy. Whereas like it it, it both seems very fishy to have been like sharing polling information with this Ukrainian guy with ties to Russian intelligence, but also like the actual. Uh, he's actually Russian. Oh, Russian yeah, guy. Himself. There yeah. you go. Even he worse. lives in Russia now. But like, there's a there's there's like such a confluence around this subject, right? Like Trump's private polling doesn't seem to have actually showed anything particularly distinctive. Which you know, not to pull us back far afield again, but it does go to the heart of the escalation from involvement to collusion to throwing the election, right? Like, it is pretty clear at this point that there were so many things that went into the election of Donald Trump that it's never going to be possible to definitively say if there had been no involvement between, you know, if Paul Manafort had never been hired and there had never been any sort of passing of polling data or whatever, the election would have gone to Hillary Clinton. Like, there are so many different factors here. The flip side of that is in a close election, any one thing could have yeah, put anything yeah. over the top. But, you know, it's important to bear in mind when we're talking about this stuff that we are never going to get the answer to if this hadn't happened, who would have won the 2016 election? And therefore, that shouldn't really be the standard. Also, just to substantiate this kind of wild speculation a little more, back when um, Mueller wrote up his questions that he wanted to ask Donald Trump uh, a list of them leaked to the New York Times back in April. There were about 40 or so questions. And one of the questions really raised eyebrows. It was, what do you know about any efforts by Paul Manafort to get Russian help for the campaign? Right. And that was like the one, you know, a lot of the questions on the list were stuff we'd already heard about. And, you know, they didn't seem necessarily to betray any secret knowledge. But that's the one where people were like, huh, uh, wonder what's wonder what that's about. And I think that maybe with this question of the sharing of polling data, which to pinpoint the timeline a little bit, uh, this allegedly happened uh, on August 2nd, 2016. So Manafort had been chairing the Trump campaign for a couple months. It was after the convention. He had been exchanging some emails about um, with Kilimnik for some time. Kilimnik had written back to him about talking about caviar in code, which uh, which is really good code, apparently means money. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, then they, they met in New York and... It's uh, supposedly, according to Rick Gates, has has told Mueller that um, that Manafort apparently handed over this polling data and walked Kilimnik through what the data meant and how to interpret it. 
at this meeting. Um, and Manafort basically disputed this. He said that, um, well, well, first of all, he said that he was just sort of forgetful about it when he didn't really mention it to Mueller. And then he said that, oh, it was mainly all public stuff anyway. It wasn't valuable data. And the judge did not buy this at all. She was extremely harsh on Manafort saying, it, like, it seemed very clear to her that he deliberately lied about this and also that it would make no sense to secretly hand over <laughs> this guy data that was already public. So so this is just another example. So you have, at the very least, there's an allegation that Donald Trump's campaign chair handed over the campaign's polling data to a guy with ties to Russian intelligence. And, you know, combine that with... You know, Roger Stone was trying to get in touch with WikiLeaks about the hacked emails and may have succeeded to some extent. And then you have the Michael Cohen aspect about the Trump Tower Moscow deal. So I, I think that's kind of the third prong of the collusion adjacent stuff, which we don't have to go in too much detail. But but basically, it's been made clear in Mueller's court filings that that um, Cohen was engaged in these talks to build a Trump Tower in Moscow during the presidential campaign, uh, late into the presidential campaign, at least until June, and that he regularly briefed Trump and Trump family members about this and uh, then lied about it to Congress. And also, Mueller has alleged that this is a project that could have made the Trump organization hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So this is like the new... The new thing that makes us look back at what happened in the 2016 campaign and should rightly be considered like hugely scandalous, like the Republican presidential nominee or nominee in waiting was engaged in secret talks uh, in a business project in Russia that could have made him and his family a ton of money at the same time as he was like being super nice to Putin and and saying nice things about him. I mean, that's chart. like in particular, actually, if you if you think back even further, right? If you think back to the Republican primary, right? And like Trump is saying this like weird, like pro-Russian stuff back then. And other Republicans were still, you know, they were like thinking they were going to beat Trump. Um, and that pointing out that lots of things Trump was saying was not in line with normal Republican policy were like going to devastate him. It turned out that like, rank and file Republican Party voters are like not that invested in foreign policy in Eastern and Central Europe topics, right? And like nobody n nobody really cared about these like, hey, you seem to love Vladimir Putin too much type takes. If it had been known at the time, right, that like Trump was like literally trying to close a deal in which he would personally gain tens of millions of Dollars, that would have been a much more um, concrete sort of political controversy to go over, right? I mean, I think a lot of the Republican senators who are like now going to be defending Trump and saying this is no big deal would have thought it was a very big deal had they known it at the time that they were still trying to fight Trump, right? This this would have been this would have put like meat on the bones of a sort of esoteric farm policy concern and turn it into like a full bore, like legitimate scandal, right? That like Trump was not answering questions about honestly, right? And like it would have been, it, it's weird. It, not to say it wasn't a big story when it came out, but like it came out in the context of 
Trump already being president, everything being super partisan, like this Steele memo having set the bar for like a really broke type of conspiracy. Whereas like just like the fact that like, yep, he's in here. Everyone's wondering, it's like, why is he even running? And it's like, yeah, he's trying to do a huge multimillion dollar real estate deal. And it would have been the the tallest building in Europe. So this is like obviously something Donald Trump would have cared about a lot. Right. I mean – Even if we're not talking about a particular opponent who would have been able to use it in the active phase of the primary, like we know that a lot of the Republican Party was not sold on Trump even going into the 2016 Republican National Convention. And simultaneously, during the deliberations over the platform, the Trump administration or sorry, then the Trump campaign actively made sure that harsh language about Russia's incursion into Ukraine was stripped from the platform. And we knew about that at the time. If you're thinking about a world where it's already known or it becomes known as part of that news story that Donald Trump is seeking to build Trump Tower Moscow, like Ted Cruz gave his speech at the convention, you know, as as basically a middle finger to Trump, you know, all but refused to endorse yada yada. If you think about the world where we know what we know now as part of that. It's not that you could say he wouldn't get the nomination, but wow, does that cast his candidacy in a different light going into the general election? It's really difficult to overstate how much that would tie a bunch of things together that at the time, anybody who was drawing connections looked like they were wildly speculating at best and conspiracizing at worst. Yeah. And of course, when we think back to the 2016 campaign and the coverage of Trump-Russia links and so on. I I, I think there was a lot of skepticism that there was anything there. It seemed silly to people. And, and, you know, if if any one of these three things, there was at least some discussion about Roger Stone and what he might have known about WikiLeaks because of his tweet. But uh, but but even I, I remember thinking back then that I don't know, like like I'm familiar with Roger Stone and his long history of kind of being a bullshitter in Republican politics. And and there's a whole documentary about him that a, a lot of people make the argument that Roger Stone constantly tries to exaggerate his own importance and influence. So like I didn't really I don't know. The tweet didn't seem completely clear to me. Uh, so, uh, like, at the time, I was like, I don't know. And and then, of course, you had the New York Times saying FBI uh, sees no Trump links to Russia and so on. And, and, and so if any of these things had been known in more detail, like if there was, like, evidence that Stone was trying to get in touch with WikiLeaks that came out back then, that Manafort was handing over the polling data, that Trump was – and Cohen were engaged in these Trump Tower Moscow talks, like it would have been a huge issue. And and it probably would have, I mean, who who knows? Like may, maybe it would have just gotten no coverage compared to Hillary's emails, but uh, it, it at least had the potential of changing the outcome of the campaign if those things were known. All right, let's, let's take a second break. And then I'm going to ask like, like, so what? Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Okay, so I guess one question 
that I've had about this whole thing for a long time is like, so what? Right? Like, you could imagine a different world in which it turns out that Donald Trump has actually been the beneficiary of a sophisticated computer hacking effort by the government of Nigeria, right? And that the government of Nigeria has also maybe had some secret business deals with Donald Trump and various other things. And if this all came out, one thing it would it would raise in my head is like, oh my God, does Donald Trump have some secret nefarious pro-Nigerian agenda that like we don't know about before? Right. That would transform our understanding of what's going on, whereas the Russia collusion has been very like shrouded in in secrecy and investigation. But like Trump's affection for Vladimir Putin is not exactly a secret. Right. Like you can sort of take or leave that, it seems to me, like as a big deal. Or are we learning through these investigative nuts and bolts something something that should that should really like, like, what is the difference between guilt or innocence here? You know, first off, when it comes to the consequences of the Mueller investigation's findings and whether Trump will, <laughs> I don't know, face impeachment or something like that, I, I think for there, the bar has been set by Republicans mainly as like, there has to be actual, you know, really smoking gun proof of, you know, something so horrible that um, and maybe not even then. Maybe there would be a way to excuse that too. So, but it has as to far be as Trump, why this matters, yes, right? yes, Trump personally uh, doing something. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because when I try to think of what it would be, like it's so close to what we already know. I, I mean, you can find a, an argument to excuse anything, like. The Trump Tower Moscow talk seems super corrupt, but the argument to excuse it is, well, the deal didn't close, so it didn't end up happening. The WikiLeaks stuff, too, it seems shady, but then the argument is, well, you don't have the proof that there was actually some sort of conspiracy. And it's true. We don't right now. I think as far as just our understanding of Donald Trump and what he does, I do think that like something like the Trump Tower Moscow talk should cause us to look back on what he said during the campaign and and question <laughs> perhaps his motivations. But since he's taken office, there's obviously been this complex dynamic where he often says or does certain things and then the rest of his government, you know, there's clearly Russia has not gotten exactly what they wanted as far as the total lifting of sanctions, a perhaps um, acquiescence to a kind of uh, Russia favoring peace deal in Ukraine or, or something like that, that would um, that would have been the Russian government's dream of of like install what they would get from installing but, an But ally. I think this is the thing. Here's like this would be the quo, right? It, it seems to me. If you had evidence of Jared Kushner or somebody else, right, like somebody in the narrowly Donald Trump orbit saying or documenting in the context of an intra-administration dispute Right. That like the president needs to push back against some more establishment anti-Russian stuff because either they owe the Russians or the Russians have dirt on them. Right. Like like if you could if you had a message right from somebody in Trump's inner circle back to Moscow saying, I know you're mad 
about this thing that just happened, but you need to understand. Like, we can only go right because because that would be the dynamic, right? If Donald <laughs> that reminds Trump, me of Michael Flynn and what he talked right. To like, if, if if Donald Trump is being blackmailed by the Russians, right? He would be in a complicated situation of trying to explain back to his runners in Moscow that he can't do everything that they would like him to do because that would blow up the whole thing. But they need to exercise forbearance and see these little tokens that he's giving them, like the Helsinki press conference and and blah, 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 right? Like that would be the thing that would destroy Donald Trump. But it just seems so unfathomable, even if that's true, like that you would ever you would never get it. Donald Trump on a hot mic telling Vladimir Putin that he would have more flexibility after the election. <laughs> but just because you've already seen the outputs, right? right. And it's like, but, I just sort of like, even as somebody who I personally am like, I think, speak for the American people and being not that invested in the intra foreign policy community dispute over the provision of lethal force to the Ukrainian government over the Donetsk region and blah, 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 right, right? Like, like I don't know, man. Th- this is why I'm, I always feel like there's like two brands of like Trump-Russia uh, skeptics. There's like the people who think Trump is innocent, which seems ridiculous to me. But then there's the like, I don't know, like, do we really care about this so much? So I feel like the desire to make all of this a referendum on the character of Donald Trump is itself a function of Donald Trump's amazing ability to make everything about him. Um, Like, I also I think it's also that there has now been so much attention devoted to this that there's a certain desire for a big climactic payoff. I mean, look, a lot of the hashtag resistance genuinely does believe that because what we know so far indicates a certain amount of illegitimacy in how Donald Trump went about seeking the presidency, that he is an illegitimate president and that therefore he should be hauled out in cuffs by the U.S. Marshal Service. Like that is a belief that exists out there. Uh-huh. And I think a lot of people do genuinely want to see that and believe that that information, that information sufficient to, you know, prove criminal charges either is already out there or might still be determined. But I think there are a lot of other people who haven't necessarily put that amount of thought into it, but who assume that if this is a big deal, it must reflect on the president ultimately, because that's what it means to have something be a big deal. It's not, you know, I think that there's a certain cognitive dissonance between the fact that the president's campaign manager (laughs) has like been, you know, has been discovered to be passing along secret polling and the idea that in order for this to be very serious for democracy, it must ultimately result in the impeachment of Donald Trump. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way, right? Like we can talk about what happened in 2016 as having been aberrational and you know, in some respects criminal and quite possibly, you know, there there could still in theory be charges of a conspiracy to, you know, interfere in the results of the election. That does not necessarily mean that Donald Trump is going to get thrown out of office over it. It may or may not mean that the election of 2016 was illegitimate. The legitimacy of elections is a subject for the political scientists anyway. Well, and also I think that like (laughs) the national security folks would would probably uh, say, Having the president of the United States in debt to Russia in some way is bad, even if oh, yeah. we know that Donald Trump tends not to pay his debts, even if we know that uh, he seems to be being checked uh, to 
some extent, at least by the rest of his administration, that like this is still a bad thing that could have harmful dynamics. Then there's the question of corruption and and cheating more generally. Like there's a he cheated to win the election argument and that that's bad. And, you know, maybe it'll happen again if he gets away with it. Uh, There's and, and then there's just the argument towards you know corruption and and there are always arguments that like some people get more offended by corruption than others and and other people say like well how how much does this actually matter compared to all the other important issues that um you know all the other policy issues that are going on like or to- on the flip side isn't everybody always corrupt anyway yeah, although here's here's I think a thing that's important, right? A turn that the Trump Russia discourse has not quite taken, right? Which is that with the United States as the world's sole superpower, a key foreign policy strategy for many countries around the world is not to engage with the United States on the level of international relations, but to engage with the United States on the level of domestic policy, right? Because it is cheaper to buy influence in Washington, D.C. than to build up a military that is capable of exerting influence region-wide, right? And that's a thing that has been going on for 20, 25 years, if not more. Donald Trump is more personally corrupt than any president I can think of, right? That he has so many mechanisms through which anybody can like put money into his pockets, including foreign actors. And we've seen numerous instances of this, right? Like, not just Trump Tower Moscow, but like this like weird Saudi party that like showed up at the Trump Tower New York. Um, Many, many aspects of this, right, that relate to Russia because Russia is an important country, but are hardly exclusive to Russia. And I find, I mean, sometimes we have to get the worldly cast in here and sweat them. But it's like, because U.S. foreign policy consensus, like, has certain views, right, that, like, Vladimir Putin is a brutal dictator, like, in a bad way, whereas the brutal dictator <laughs> of Bahrain is a brutal dictator in a good way. It's, like, really bad to be on the take from Putin, but really good to be on the take from the UAE. And, like, now, maybe recently, because the Saudis <laughs> killed a guy in a particularly grotesque way, it's, like, maybe going to be bad to be on the take from the Saudis. But if you were to suggest that anybody is on the take from Israel, like that's anti-Semitic. And like it's a very confusing landscape out there in which like I think the door is open to like a bigger argument about corruption in American foreign policy. But that like that's not quite where the Russia discourse from like the ex-FBI counterintelligence officers on MSNBC is going. So I guess, you know, what what can we expect next? What like what should we be looking for in the future? Is there going to be a big climactic Mueller report? What's up? Okay, so <laughs> the short answer is that it's a bit of a mystery. Uh the chatter from mainstream media reporters who have sources in the Justice Department is that Mueller's almost done and that there's going to be a report of some kind con- completed. And whether that is true, I guess we will see. It may be true. I think that the discussion about a Mueller report is extremely confusing, and uh, there's a lot of misconceptions there. So, so here's the actual regulation about um, what it says about a, a special counsel report. 
at the conclusion of the special counsel's work, he or she shall provide the attorney general with a confidential report explaining the prosecution or declination decisions reached by the special counsel. So there are a couple of important things in there. One is the word confidential, like people talk like they expect this to be the 9-11 commission report or something like that, uh, or the star report. Um, And this specifically says it should be confidential. Uh, Second is that it's supposed to explain prosecution or declination decisions. So it seems to be about like, you know, why did you charge certain people and not other people? And that raises another important question about whether it will be made public or not, because Justice Department policy is to not talk about people who you did not end up charging with crimes. You wouldn't just like give a press conference, talk about how irresponsible they were, (laughs) something like that. Yeah, yeah. Extremely careless. Careless. That kind of thing gets you fired. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. You don't do that. And then there's also, there are other questions like classified information, and it's basically very unclear what's going on here. Uh, There seems to be this expectation that Mueller is doing something like the Star Report that will be made public, but Maybe he's not. And um, there is the alternative theory that um, uh, Marcy Wheeler and others have put forward that that he is basically speaking through his indictments and that like whatever final word that Mueller has to say will be issued in an indictment and that this report is a bit of a red herring. Um, But then we should mention one other aspect to this, which is that that was what the regulation says about the special counsel's report. But then it also says something about the attorney general and his reporting requirements. So it says, upon conclusion of the special counsel's investigation, to the extent consistent with applicable law, a description and explanation of instances, if any, in which the attorney general concluded that a proposed action by a special counsel was so inappropriate or unwarranted under established departmental practices that it should not be pursued. So basically, if Mueller recommends something and... Bill Barr, who's now the attorney general, decides that it should not be done. It's a witch hunt, fake news, based on a discredited dossier. Bill Barr would be required to make some kind of report to Congress. And then also, um, there's another part of this that says that the attorney general may determine that public release of these reports would be in the public interest to the extent that release would comply with um, legal restrictions. So back when Bill Barr was getting confirmed, there's all this... these exchanges between him and Senate Democrats, where Senate Democrats were like, we want you to promise to make Mueller's report public. And he was like, I don't know if I can do that. And Democrats said, he's dodging. And I have a bit more of a sympathetic view toward Barr there because I I think that Barr, um, if his testimony is accurate, legitimately has no idea what Mueller is writing or what form it would be. If it is something that's highly classified, uh, if it's something that is all about, like, why certain people were not charged because, you know, uh, they shouldn't be charged, or other reasons involving grand jury secrecy, there are good reasons that, like, Bill Barr would have to, like, not make that report public. Right, because it's not like... As opposed to Matt Whitaker, who was in the Justice Department before being acting attorney general, like Bill Barr would have no particular way of knowing these things. Yes. I think it's clear that there is a plan that Mueller and Rosenstein and it has been Whitaker lately, but but Mueller and like the top DOJ people he's been working with 
they have clearly been working towards some end goal. And maybe that end goal is to write a report that that he does intend will be made public. But maybe it's not. And, and there's a different end goal of how he's handling it. And we just don't know what the plan is. And when Barr testified, he didn't know what the plan was either. So it was hard for him to make like a concrete commitment on what to make public or not to make public. And then the other thing, right, is that it seems to me it makes such a big difference whether whatever it is that ultimately is alleged touches Trump personally or not, right? Like, it's such a bigger deal than the exact format in which these things are released. And that, like, an interesting thing about that Southern District of New York filing against Michael Cohen is that it appeared to be accusing Donald Trump of committing a crime without accusing him of committing a crime in any kind of formal forum. Yes, and related like, to the Stormy Daniels. Case. Right. But but that, it feels to me, is like the real meat of this. Not like, will some summary statement be released or not? But like, if your conclusion is individual one committed the following crime, but we are not indicting him because he's the president of the United States. So I give this to you, Mr. Congress. <laughs> right? Like, that is information that- Mad Madam Congress. Madam now. Congress. <laughs> um, that, that, that is information that it seems to me like the public clearly deserves to know. Right? Like, if, if, a, if a reason for the decision to not prosecute yeah. is that the guilty party is the president of the United States. It, 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 yes. So, right? so rather than the reason to decide not to prosecute is that he's innocent. Right. Like that's a big difference. Yes. And the public really needs to know which of them it is. And the way uh, one of the weird things about the Southern District uh, investigation is that because they don't have any special counsel regulations or anything, they just kind of left this hanging out there. So we're all looking at it and we're like, huh, that's weird. And and like I I would hope that Bill Barr or Robert Mueller or whomever will seek to provide clarity on this this one particular critical question more than anything else is like what are they saying about Donald Trump? Yes, yeah, because I, that's what the report is framed in terms of Mueller's report in the regulation. It's about explaining prosecution and declination decisions, whether you bring charges against someone or whether you decided not to. And it is entirely possible uh, that the report is like Donald Trump committed all of these crimes and we have all of these details and evidence to prove it. And we're not going to charge him because he's the president and DOJ guidance says we should not indict a sitting president. And like, maybe that's the report. And it would be really bad. Like, if that's the report, you can't just leave that in a Justice yes. Department filing cabinet, it seems to me. Whereas if the report is like a bunch of stuff about like this went on in the grand jury and like that's why we didn't prosecute like Rick Gates's brother, then, you know, I mean, like there's a reason this stuff is normally kept private, right? Like, and like what Comey did with Hillary, right? Like you, you really aren't supposed to just like go blabbing about like stuff that came up in an investigation that's not chargeable. Um, but I feel like the, I felt like the congressional testimony was sort of like beating around the bush here and like not answering the real question. I also have to think, right? Like whatever um, is done with the formal report, right? Like Mueller will continue to exist as a human being. He's been very sphinx-like throughout most of this process. But there was that one moment with the BuzzFeed story where he was like, no, I have to say something about this. It's hard for me to imagine a universe in which Mueller reaches the conclusion that Donald Trump has committed multiple serious crimes, but a little like bureaucratic gotcha 
prevents him from delivering that information to the public. I mean, who knows, right? Maybe he's such a strange shooter that he wouldn't leak that memo. But I mean, I don't know, man. What I'm concerned about is I think that it's much more likely that the Mueller investigation does not come to a conclusion about the personal culpability of Donald Trump for any of a multitude of other reasons, right? Like they don't feel they have enough information and they're not going to continue the investigation solely into the person of the president himself because they already know the DOJ guidance, et cetera. Or like they genuinely do believe that he is innocent and aren't going to, you know, they're not going to try to counteract that presumption because all of the evidence they have now suggests, or most of the evidence or whatever, suggests that Donald Trump was personally not legally culpable, whatever else you might say about his responsibility. I feel like anything short of a memo that literally says we would have indicted President Donald Trump for X, Y, Z, but we can't because he's the president is not going to be like, frankly, I think that the trust in in Mueller invested by people who are critical of Trump is not unconditional. And I would be very surprised if any kind of conclusion of the Mueller investigation that doesn't include a Donald Trump is guilty as sin smoking gun may like I think that that's probably going to result in a lot of the hashtag resistance seeing the Mueller investigation as less legitimate or saying that like Bill Barr stepped on it or that it's been corrupted in in some way or that Robert Mueller wasn't in fact the hero of democracy we thought he was. Like I think that at this point, these expectations have been set so high that the likelihood that whatever comes out of this is actually seen as clarifying in terms of building a political consensus as to what happened and what role the president has in it is unlikely. And I think we should maybe start preparing ourselves for that possibility now. You mean we're not going to reach political consensus? I, yes. Sadly, we're not going to reach political consensus. Well, well, I do think that, that you know, I, I just talked about the possibility of a report of damning evidence against Trump and, and we're not going to charge him because he's the president. And as you say, there's also the possibility of the evidence wasn't there or the evidence was mixed. or And that's why I think it's important that the report is about explaining the prosecution or declination decisions. Because, you know, if they decide not to prosecute Don Jr. or Trump or whoever, despite like maybe considering it seriously, uh, they have to explain why. And so theoretically, the report would say, like, we found this evidence, but, you know, we didn't think the evidence was strong enough. Yeah, and I just don't know that like there's no there's very little incentive for Democrats to leak that. And there's very little incentive for for Democrats in the field to believe it. The other thing I would say, though, about this is that one reason I expect this to not make a huge political difference going forward, unless there's some big new things, is that it feels to me like it is already made a substantial difference, right? Like if Trump was riding high in the polls, right, with like a 65 percent approval rating based on the historically low African-American unemployment and stuff like that, then like information that came out about his shady dealings with Russia, you could easily see like normally Democratic leaning voters who'd been impressed by Trump's strong performance in the job turning against him, even some wavering moderates being like, oh, I don't know about that guy. But like his numbers in the in the low 40s you're talking about a group of trump approvers who are like already fairly hardcore the lower you get as a president like the harder it is to like persuade marginal people to turn against you and 
I do think that's like another important piece of context for this, right? Like the interesting thing about Monica Lewinsky is that that didn't knock Bill Clinton down from a, a high point, you know, whereas like Trump is starting at a at a not like a terribly low point, but a pretty low point where like Trump approvers, I think, like really agree with him about consequential matters of national policy. And so it's it's hard to, you know, disabuse them of that. I do also think that um, we haven't really talked about the obstruction of justice part of this, but we know that there is a very, very extensive investigation into whether Trump tried to obstruct the investigation. And like we've known about that for a long time. It relates to stuff like the Comey firing and attacking sessions and all other kind of efforts to interfere with the FBI. But we've never really seen – sometimes there is a power in like uh, the news cycle of having – this all put together in one place, maybe with some new stuff and with like some some big takeaway like findings there. Yeah. So like if the Mueller, like let's say there's nothing, there's no smoking gun on collusion and, and like literally what we've talked about today is is the extent of the collusion story. And but also what we already know about is the extent of the obstruction story. And that looks really bad. Like it, it is possible that the Mueller report, let's say a Mueller report comes out, it's it's damning on obstruction. Um, perhaps it says we're not charging him because he's president or something like that. And then I think you get to the question of House Democrats and you know how do they not move to impeach based on this? I guess it's possible that they won't, but like I tend to suspect that. If Mueller's findings, however they are released or not released, are anything more damning than no collusion witch hunt, like there's going to be a a, a big a, a lot of pressure on House Democrats to to do something about it. Like, what are they going to do if 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 Mueller's like, all right, there was no collusion, but the president seriously obstructed justice and like and made all of these completely uh, outrageous efforts to interfere with the Justice Department. Are Democrats just going to say, oh, well, I guess, guess we'll just have to beat him in the next election. We're not going to like do anything about this I right think now. they will. <laughs> I'm I, now really hoping for a Mueller report that is one page, no collusion, witch hunt, XOXO, Robert <laughs> Mueller. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we, we will have to have you back on to uh, to discuss it at that point. I'm, I'm not sure that the House Democrats' enthusiasm for Mike Pence administration is actually all that all that high. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so thanks, Andrew, for, for coming on, explaining this to us. Uh, we, we like to get back into Russiagate every few months. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. Um, thanks, of course, to our sponsors and to our producer, Jeffrey Gelb. And The Weeds will be back on Friday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.